Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello and welcome back to season three of Sequelizers. This, as always, is the show about fixing the bad sequels to good movies. If there was a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, we're going to do our very, very best to try and fix it. Of course, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. First up, we have the incredibly long-named, when this baby hits 88 miles an hour, you're going to see some serious Shrek, Alec Plowman. In the morning, I'm making waffles. And Stuart Ashen. <laughs> My world's on fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it, and I never get bored. <laughs> oh, God. Too much smash mouth. <laughs> One might argue. And, of course, their opponents, Chris Farley. Full stop. But which is Chris and which is Farley? Oh. We don't know. Introduce you to Chris, Tim, Puffy, and Farley, Matthew. Hang on, I'm, I'm Googling Smash Mouth lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Nah, this is all dog shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be walking on a sun. Hello, thank you. Might as well. I'll be here all week. So speaking of terrible Shrek puns, we're fixing Shrek 2. In last episode, we discussed why it's actually a piece of shit and the 88% rating on Rotten Tomatoes is entirely wrong and it should not have won any awards. Fuck that movie. And now we're here for you four gentlemen to try and fix it. So shall we refresh the listeners' memories from last week and give them the little tease we had at the end of the previous episode? Alec and Stuart, I'll come to you guys first. The title of our movie is Shrek to the Future. Jesus. Shrek to the Future, Jesus. <laughs> I wouldn't be involved. Damn it, he's guessed the ending. <laughs> Shrek is crucified. <laughs> you would wash your hands, pilot, you bastard. Directed by Mel Gibson. <laughs> I live in a swamp. I'm always dirty. Donkey, these nails really hurt. King Harold and Queen Lillian take Shrek over the hill and he sees a giant wicker ogre in the distance. Oh, God! Oh, Oh, Jesus Christ! Christ. Oh, my God, what have we done? (laughs) Still not as weird as our original idea, but... No, no, it still is not. That was fucking bonkers. Are you ever going to touch on your original idea? We will will reveal it after this. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. It would contain spoilers for this idea. Right, okay. I thought it was just something so completely different. No, fair no. enough, fair enough. Okay. Our cast, Shrek, played by Mike Myers. Fiona, played by Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Cameron <laughs> Diaz. <laughs> Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Donkey. Donkey, Cameroon played by 
Edwin Murphy. <laughs> Is it short for Edwin? I no. hope so. King Harold, played by Johannan Cleese. <laughs> Queen Lillian, played by Judith Handy Andy Andrews. <laughs> Lord Farquaad, played by old Lithers himself, John Lithgow. And Frau Trude, played by HBC, Helena Bonham Carter. Director Robert Zemeckis, music by Alan Silvestri. Shrek and Fiona's happily ever after is threatened when the villainous Lord Farquaad returns. Cast into a strange new land by his evil magic, will Shrek and Donkey make it back in time? But will they, Jack? Tell us. We need to write the end for this. I'm going to assume they do. The, listeners, oh. they both raise their eyebrows and turn to Jack every time they say that. And they're like, and Alec points specifically. And it's like, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what we're doing is we're pitching. I'm engrossed. A great movie. Engrossed. Works really well for our audio medium. <laughs> so let's delve deep into your well of madness, shall we? Into <laughs> Shrek with madness? To the future. Do it. In an extended musical opening sequence, cut to an early 2000s pop-punk cover of the monkey's I'm a Believer, we see Shrek and Fiona on their honeymoon. They're clearly madly in love, though Shrek's ogreish behaviour reviles the myriad other guests at the fairy tale resort where they're staying. As the opening sequence ends, Shrek and Fiona return to Shrek's swamp. There, Donkey meets them, explaining that they've received an urgent summons from the king and queen, Fiona's parents. According to Donkey, news of Fiona and Shrek's marriage has spread across the fairy tale kingdom, and the royal family refuse to approve of the union until they have met their daughter's husband. Shrek and Fiona pack their bags, ready for the journey to the kingdom of far, far away. Shrek is clearly antsy about meeting his new in-laws and worries that they will not approve of him. Fiona tells him not to worry, saying that Shrek is a good person, that she loves him, and that her parents will love him too. Besides, she says, after everything that they went through in the first trek, what's the worst that could happen? We cut to a giant pile of dragon shit. (laughs) It starts wobbling and crumbling before an excrement-covered and very angry-looking Lord Farquaad bursts out of it and screams with rage. I, I wanted to ask when you said Lucas, I was like, I thought he's dead, but that, <coughs> that makes no, sense. He's, he's still alive in the post-credit so sequence. Pooping. Yeah, yeah it's oh, really yeah. weird. Sometime later, Farquaad has cleaned himself up and assembled a team of his remaining loyal men, as well as recruiting the evil witch Frau Truda, who owns a crystal ball of immense magical power. They bring him up to speed on the situation, explaining that the king and queen have summoned Shrek and Fiona to far, far away. Farquaad begins to conjure up a plan and instructs some of his men to infiltrate far, far away so they can spy on Shrek and Fiona. Arriving at far, far away, Shrek and Fiona disembark from their carriage. A procession has been laid on for their arrival, but their appearance is clearly surprising to far, far away's residents. None more so than Fiona's parents. King Harold and Queen Lillian, who are shocked by their daughter's now permanent ogre transformation, as well as her new husband. Nonetheless, a banquet is thrown for the pair to celebrate their arrival. But as the meal goes on, tensions flare up between Shrek and Harold. Shrek behaves, unsurprisingly, like an ogre, and Harold says that while he can tolerate Shrek's appearance, the behaviour is not befitting of a future royal. A heated war of words breaks out between the pair. As the fight reaches its peak, Fiona runs out of the room crying, causing Shrek to storm out of the castle. After the banquet is over, Lillian berates Harold for his terrible behaviour, saying that Shrek is the man Fiona loves. Harold remains steadfast in his disapproval, though, saying that Shrek is marrying into royalty, and there are standards he needs to live up to. 
News of the fight is reported back to a delighted Farquad, who is now primed to put his plan into effect. With Shrek having fallen out with the king as Farquad had hoped, Truda uses her magic to find Shrek. Farquad, his men, and Truda then head off to Shrek's location. In wake of Shrek's disappearance, Donkey has been searching high and low across Far Far Away to find him. Eventually he discovers Shrek in a secluded woodland and tries to convince him to return to the castle. Clearly depressed, Shrek refuses to come back. He says he should have known this would happen. This is how people have reacted to him all his life. Donkey says that Fiona still loves him, with or without her father's approval, and that he should come back for her sake. Heartened by Donkey's words, Shrek is about to leave when the pair is surrounded by Farquaad's men. Shrek and Donkey fight them off as best they can, but are overpowered. Farquaad then shows himself, much to Shrek and Donkey's horror, and reveals his plan. Truda produces a magic potion, which Farquaad drinks, transforming him so that he looks exactly like Shrek. He tells Shrek that he intends to take his place, and that, unlike the ogre, he has the royal demeanour to win over King Harold, win back Princess Fiona, and rule the fairy tale kingdom once and for all. Shrek protests. You lost last time, Farquaad. What makes you think you'll get away with it this time? It's funny you should mention time, ogre, Farquaad responds, as it most definitely isn't on your side. With that, Truda uses her crystal ball to open a portal. Shrek and Donkey resist, but are hurled through it by Farquaad's men. Farquaad expresses concern that Fiona will realise he's a fake. Truda says not to worry, as the princess's memories of Shrek will soon begin to fade. Violently falling on top of each other, Shrek and Donkey pick themselves up and look around horrified. They appear to be in a very different place from before. It's a place that we, the audience, recognise. Victorian London. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> said it was going to go back shit. Oh no, this is nothing compared to the previous. <laughs> the version of Victorian London that Shrek and Donkey find themselves in, like the fairy tale kingdom they come from, is a land based on the popular fiction of the era. As they wander the streets, they have numerous humorous encounters with the likes of Sherlock Holmes, Oliver Twist, Dr. Jekyll, etc., all of whom, much like the fairy tale characters in the original Shrek, are humorous caricatures, pastiches, or subvert audience expectations. After a madcap sequence in which Shrek and Donkey roam the city, they are taken in by Doc Herbert George Wells, a scientist and inventor voiced by Christopher Lloyd and bearing a striking resemblance to Dr. Emmett Brown of the Back to the Future series, who marvels at Shrek and posits many Darwin-esque theories about his unusual appearance. Shrek and Donkey explain that Lord Farquaad has sent them to this time. Wells is not surprised by this, saying that it tallies with his own theories about time travel and revealing that he has been working on a time machine himself. Shrek asks Wells if he can get him and Donkey back to the past, but Wells responds that his machine isn't ready. However, realising that introducing Shrek as a curio to London high society could seriously up his social standing, and therefore increase the funding for his research, he strikes a deal. If Shrek will accompany him to various events, he'll finish work on the machine and send him back home. Already having had enough of high society in his own time, Shrek protests, but after Donkey reminds him it's the only way to get back to Fiona, he reluctantly agrees. Meanwhile, back in Far Far Away, Farquaad, now disguised as Shrek, reconvenes with Fiona and apologises for his behaviour. He acts in a much more regal, dignified manner than before, and makes amends with Fiona's parents. Harold is seemingly thrilled with the new prince-like Shrek, and sets a date for a lavish ceremony to recognise the marriage, and bestows Shrek the title of Prince of Far Far Away. Fiona, however, is unconvinced. 
Away from the crowd, she expresses doubt to her mother about the new Shrek, saying that something isn't right about him. While he's certainly more princely, he no longer seems like the ogre that she fell in love with, who lacked airs and graces, but had a warm heart. It's odd, but she's finding it harder to remember exactly what he used to be like. In Victorian London, Doc Wells introduces Shrek to the good and great of high society, a mixture of historical and fictional figures including the likes of Queen Victoria, Charles Darwin, Sexton Blake and Phileas Fogg. But, much to Shrek's surprise, the Victorians are not reviled by him and are instead enamoured by his ogreish ways. He becomes a figure not unlike John Merrick, the real socialite John Merrick rather than the tragic film version, and he and Doc Wells begin to revel in their roles as high society figures. Shrek and Wells are so busy being socialites, in fact, that no work appears to be done on the time machine. This agitates Donkey, who protests that he and Shrek need to get back home with some urgency. Shrek says that he's accepted for who he is in Victorian London, and that maybe he doesn't want to go home after all. Donkey retorts that Shrek might entertain these people, but he's just a new fad. Fiona loved him, and now he's throwing that all away. The words clearly cut Shrek to the bone as Donkey storms off into the night. Having overheard the conversation and been affected by what is said, Doc Wells goes to Shrek. He reveals that the time machine is finished. In fact, it has been all along. Shrek is shocked and angered and asks the Doc why he never told him. Wells replies that he's always been shunned by high society for his eccentric ways, and that in his relentless quest for approval, he'd pushed away the people that meant the most to him, his friends, his family, his now ex-wife. He says he can't let Shrek make the same mistake. However, they need to act quickly. The Doc believes that the longer you stay away from your rightful time, the more the people there forget you, until they wouldn't even recognise you if you did return. Shrek says that they need to find Donkey so they can get back to far, far away as soon as possible. Shrek and Doc Wells journey out into the night to discover Donkey attempting to join up with a gang of Oliver Twist-esque boy thieves. They pull him away and a chase across London ensues, with the pickpockets and their Fagin-like leader enraged that Shrek has stolen away their newest recruit, the artless Donkey. Eventually... Eventually, they make it to the time machine, which Doc Wells frantically sets up, and Donkey and Shrek are transported back to their own time. And not a moment too soon, it would seem. In a parody of the famous scene from The Graduate, not for the first time in a Mike Myers movie, Shrek races to the location, only to discover that the disguised Farquaad and Fiona's ceremony is in full swing. Shrek appears to get there too late, and it looks like Farquaad is about to win the day until Fiona spurns him at the ceremony, saying she can't go through with it. Shrek is no longer the ogre he was, and that the good, kind-hearted Shrek she fell in love with is becoming a faint, distant memory. At that moment, the real Shrek makes his entrance, revealing Farquaad as the fraud he is. Enraged, Truda conjures another time portal to bring forth monsters from beyond time to protect them, but Donkey smashes her crystal ball with a flying headbutt, knocking Farquaad and Truda into the portal, which disappears. Afterwards, Shrek is summoned to King Harold's chamber. Harold apologises to Shrek, saying that he was wrong to judge him for his ogreish ways. Actually, he states, he finds Shrek's behaviour quite refreshing, but was too occupied with appearances and too worried about other people's feelings to admit it. Saying that Shrek's commitment to getting back to Fiona showed his true heart, he continues that he would be delighted to call him son-in-law and asks for his forgiveness. The ceremony is rescheduled, with the real Shrek back in his rightful place. However, just as Harold is about to crown Shrek Prince of Far, Far Away, Doc Wells unexpectedly appears in an upgraded second version of his time machine. Friends, you've got to come back with me. Back to the future. 
But Doc, I just got back here with Fiona. I'm about to become a prince. Well, bring her along. It's your kids. Oh Something my God. has got to be done about your kids. Oh what what happens to our kids? Not your kids, your kids. Everyone realises that Doc Wells is staring straight at Donkey, not Shrek. <gasps> As Shrek, Fiona, Donkey and Doc Wells hop into the time machine, the words, to be continued, appear over a smash mouth cover of Huey Lewis and the News back in time. Fucking <laughs> 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 hell! During the credits, oh we see <laughs> Farquaad and Truda lost in an ancient time <laughs> being chased by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> nice. oh my God. Shrek to the future. It's a parody film, baby. <laughs> that was, yeah, I mean, I, it was crazy. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the pitch, gentlemen. That was very interesting. But you mentioned a batshit original idea that I think. Yeah, we deserve to hear, and the I listeners deserve to hear. I think Alec might die just remembering it. <laughs> it was We've so broken good. Alec yeah. many times, so... and I feel like this might be one of them. We initially came up with this, sat in Ed's diner, trying to work out what the hell we were going to do for Shrek. For neither of us care yeah. much for the Shrek. And then Shrek to the future was said semi as a joke, and then we went with it. Now, in our original version, the reason it is Robert Zemeckis is because in our original version, this was going to be a mixture of CG animation and live action. That's where I thought you were going with it. Um, when you said they go through the portal, I thought, oh, I, fuck. I thought so, yeah. They're yeah. going to be um, outside the clock tower yes. and then get hit that's by the car. what originally kind of happened. Yeah. They Back went to 1950s to Hill Valley. Yeah. With, with Christopher Lloyd badly made up to look like he was 30 years younger mm. um but shrek yeah but, but is... doc, he's made to look older as doc brown so but it's he... in the 50s so he has oh to yes look... okay if you're taking yeah, okay yeah. right if you're going 50s then fair enough right. shrek was able to assimilate into 1950s american society because they protected <laughs> he was a high school football mascot <laughs> oh <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> Oh my god. And we had a lot of fucking funny stuff with it. And um, Donkey does the Marty McFly guitar thing and introduces the world to funk music. He does um, that at the end of one of the Shreks. He does the dance with the leg and the guitar and yeah, stuff. Because well, yeah, he does the. I don't know if it's... In our version, he was playing Parliament. And then. <laughs> nice. It's your brother. Jacob Clinton <laughs> was where we went with it. So much in the same way that you made your Predator pitch an Alien versus Predator film, you were and had, still have made a Shrek film a Back to the Future movie, but you wanted to make it like Back to the Future 2 where you're like, let's completely go inside. Back. That That's, is exactly it. And it was very funny. Hell. And Alec yeah. was like, is it not about... It's an entertainment podcast, not a fucking job interview, man. This is all fine. <laughs> but... Then there is the rule of the sequelizing. You're supposed to improve the sequel. And no matter <laughs> how you made this, and no matter how funny it was, it would still be fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, cut that one. Yeah, we got to a point where it's like, we can make this hilarious, but we can't actually make it any good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining it's the end of that episode of The Simpsons yes. where Homer falls through and goes yeah. to the. Yeah, Ooh, just we're out of cake. I also toyed with having him go really far into the future and having, instead of Victorian London, uh, 
type Shrek characters. Shrek X in space. Yeah, yeah but it's just Morlocks. Roughing, riffing on sort of Flash Gordon, that kind of stuff. Wow. But, but that wow. would be the third one. Yeah. 2001, <laughs> a Shrek Odyssey or something like that. Yeah. That's it. And in the end, it's just a donkey fetus floating in space. <laughs> it's a donkey dragon fetus. Oh, yes. Oh, That's my it. God. A drunky fetus. <laughs> space drunky. That's what we need. Ours is going to seem really tame by comparison. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just did a Shrek sequel. Have you mixed live action <laughs> random shit? No. Oh, God. I said I legit, I legit thought that's where you were going as soon as you said and they're sucked through a time portal went, oh my god they're doing <laughs> that there episode was of the so Simpsons. much material but it would have just been f- if you'd have made it as a film it'd have been fucking awful yeah. <laughs> people people would watch it and enjoy it but for all the wrong reasons you know I think yeah we maybe like had too much milkshake at this point because we were just there like we were just there like you know what Shrek could be what the David Lynch combination of sugar and caffeine and you're like oh yeah. my god this yeah. is great we were, great. Like, we were like Shrek's a football mascot yes yes it'd be the thing we would we'd be reading BuzzFeed articles about now where it's like the film that killed DreamWorks animation <laughs> <laughs> why you never see Robert Zemeckis make any films these days <laughs> why you never see Robert Zemeckis Mike, Mike Myers, Myers Christopher yeah. Eddie Murphy wait all of those people yeah I was just saying yeah. it just jump starts maybe five years ahead of when the actual yeah. event happened yeah. in here in real life anyway after that <laughs> <laughs> As you would say, Alec, train trek. <laughs> over to Chris and Farley over there. Remind our dear listeners of your cast crew. We are Chris Farley. We are bringing to you today Shrek 2 Happily Ever After. Our returning cast in the role of Shrek is Mike Myers, the role of Donkey, Eddie Murphy, the role of Princess Fiona, Cameron Diaz. New cast, Queen Emily is played by Drew Barrymore, King Spencer by Charlie Sheen, and Old Man Frog is Keith David. Our film is released in 2004, same as the normal Shrek 2. Uh, our director or directors is Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois, who did Lilo and Stitch and would go on to do How to Train Your Dragon. And our composer is Harry Gregson Williams, who did the original Shrek and a bunch of other um, sort of family films, Flushed Away and Chicken Run and stuff, um, as well as other things. Mm. Our elevator pitch is, as Shrek and Fiona settle into being married, their idyllic life in the swamp is disturbed by a wave of fashionable settlers seeking to establish a new town. While Shrek is slowly tempted by the newcomer's way of life, Fiona investigates the origin of the visitors and finds a connection very close to home. So, let's get stuck into the pitch, shall we, gentlemen? Okay. We begin the film with a montage showing Shrek and Fiona's honeymoon, set to a cover of Dancing in the Moonlight, performed by Matchbox 20. The two are happy and in love, but we can begin to see the differences in their outlook on life. Shrek spends his time lounging around their gingerbread resort, while Fiona insists on exploring local caves and venturing into nearby towns, where they terrify off the locals and enjoy a spaghetti supper, complete with Lady and the Tramp reference. Upon returning to Shrek's cottage in the swamp, the two are greeted by Donkey, who has supposedly been house-sitting, but in reality has been lying low after fending off the advances of the Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, saying out loud is so funny. <laughs> yes, he's hiding from the rutting. Um, <laughs> Shrek's too hiding from the rutting. <laughs> okay. Shrek and Fiona want to get back to everyday life, but Donkey insists on hearing all the stories from the honeymoon and regaling them with tales of his misadventures while they've been away. 
As he gallops around the house trying to hold their attention and avoid being thrown out by Shrek, he knocks a pile of letters into the fireplace. We see a notice of new development coming soon, but it is swiftly consumed by the fire. The next day, as Donkey sleeps, Shrek gives Fiona a full tour of the swamp, highlighting his favourite spots, the big stagnant lake, the giant tangle of thorns, and the stink pit full of sludge. The sequence, which is soundtracked by Drift Away by Uncle Cracker, ends with Shrek presenting Fiona with a hand-carved wooden ring he has been working on. Their time alone is interrupted with the arrival of the three pigs, the big bad wolf, and Pinocchio, all of whom have stayed in the swamp after the events of the first film. The three pigs mention that they've just been hired for a big construction job, but the conversation is cut short when humans hunting for ogres appear. Shrek prepares to scare off the hunters, while Fiona gets the others to safety. The hunters are able to get the better of Shrek and rope him to, by his ankle, but Fiona reappears, chasing him off and kissing the upside-down Shrek. Mid-kiss, he drops down onto his head as a different trio of humans appear from the forest, freeing him from the trap and rushing in to apologise for how the ogre couple have been treated. The three humans are voiced and by and modelled on Jack Osborne, Kelly Osborne, and Jason Dill, the pro skater that started a fire in the Osborne's kitchen that one episode. <laughs> they explain that not all humans hate fairy tale creatures, and they have moved here to escape the hustle and bustle of the big cities and be closer to the real magic. The trio follow Shrek and Fiona back to Shrek's cottage, marvelling at its authentic design and delighting in Donkey's antics, who is thrilled to have found three new friends. After inviting themselves in for a slightly awkward dinner, the trio disappear, saying they'll see Shrek, Fiona and Donkey again soon. Donkey loves the new arrivals, while Shrek is grumpy about having to share his dinner. Fiona, however, is suspicious, saying that there was something a little familiar about the new arrivals. The next day, Shrek and Donkey are walking through the swamp, discussing the new humans. Donkey reminds Shrek that, grumpy as he may be, he never would have met Donkey or Fiona if he hadn't been open to new experiences. As Shrek collects water from the stagnant lake, he is greeted by Old Man Frog, who observes that the water level in the lake has fallen. Meanwhile, Fiona has ventured into the furthest edges of the swamp and finds a huge town already half-built, complete with numerous shops with fantasy pun names. She sees a notice on one of the building sites that reads, An exciting new community, close to charmingly rustic wetlands, brought to you by the far, far away group. Overcome with rage, she steals a bicycle from a passing messenger played by Lance Armstrong and heads... <laughs> As Fiona heads away from the swamp and the new town, she passes a carriage travelling in the other direction. The carriage pulls into town and with a Scar-style fanfare, King Spencer emerges. Standing before the crowd, he sticks out his tongue and shouts, What's up? To which the crowd return his gesture. This goes on for a while before King Spencer breaks the cycle with, Just ruling, and the crowd chorally respond, True, true. He is treated like a celebrity by the humans in the town, complete with paparazzi portrait artists following him, but he waves off the attention. He meets with a group of lords who have been building the new town, including a cameo appearance by Donald Trump, and says he has been sent by the Queen to check everything is proceeding as planned. One of the lords mentions that some of the locals have been poking around, and Spencer tells him to chill out, dude, and that everyone will come around to their way of thinking sooner or later. Fiona cycles furiously through a mountain pass, overtaking a group of four halflings, a dwarf, an elf, two humans, and a wizard. (laughs) The dwarf turns to the elf and says, See... That's what I was saying. Why do I have to walk everywhere? Emerging through the pass, Fiona sees the huge fairy tale city of far, far away and continues her journey towards it. Back in the swamp, Shrek and Donkey are searching for Fiona, having noticed she is missing. 
Donkey stumbles upon the new development, but it is quickly distracted by the local humans, who seem amused by his antics. He is given fancy vegetables and parfait by his fans, and finds himself being ushered up onto a stage to perform. Meanwhile, Shrek is searching for Fiona near the stink pit when he comes across King Spencer, sat on a log playing the guitar. The two strike up a conversation, and Shrek quickly becomes charmed by the laid-back Spencer, who tells Shrek that he needs to let go of his worries. The two sing a duet of No Shirt, No Shoes, No Problem by Kenny Chesney, and King Spencer encourages Shrek to swing by the town if he feels like hanging out. Finally arriving in Far Far Away, Fiona uh, marches into the royal castle and confronts the new queen, her sister Emily. Initially disgusted by Fiona's ogre form, Emily soon realises that it is her older sister and makes a big show of welcoming her back. As the two trade passive-aggressive barbs, Emily explains that everyone assumed Fiona was still locked away in her tower, so when their parents died, the throne passed on to Emily. Fiona demands to know why a new town is being built in the swamp, and Emily explains that with Lord Farquhar dead, the land surrounding the swamp was annexed by Far Far Away, and the fairy tale look is very in right now, so Emily is simply taking advantage of demand. The argument escalates, and Fiona tells Emily that she won't let her disrupt the lives of everyone in the swamp. The two storm out of the castle and head towards the swamp, Emily on a magnificent white stallion, and Fiona on her bike, which was just being recovered by an exhausted Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Back in Swamp Town, Donkey has become a sensation among the residents, performing hackneyed stand-up routines in front of adoring crowds, while Shrek and Spencer are relaxing in the king's private cottage, playing video games on a crystal ball. When Spencer excuses himself to use the royal commode, Pinocchio and the three little pigs try to attract Shrek's attention from the window outside. They explain, using Love Actually style signs, that the builders are trying to destroy the swamp, filling in the stink pit, cutting back the thorns, and diverting the stream from lake into a big dam to power the town. What's more, the fairy tale folk are being ejected from their homes to make way for new housing for the humans. Shrek tells them Spencer would never let that happen. But before Shrek slams the window shutters closed on them, Pinocchio yells to him that it's go see Old Man Frog. With Spencer still trapped on the commode, blaming the new garlic knots from Pizza Hovel, Shrek decides to leave the royal cottage and head to the lake. At the lake, Shrek finds the water level has dropped considerably, and Old Man Frog is deathly ill, stranded far from the water in his tree stump house. Shrek helps the injured frog down to the remaining water, and explains he didn't realise what was happening to the old swamp that he loved. Old Man Frog says that he doesn't blame Shrek, and he's seen it all before. Right now, fairy tale creatures are the popular thing, and the humans will flock here, but soon enough they'll be in some other trend and they'll head off having devastated the swamp. Shrek tells him that he won't let that happen, and after making sure he's got plenty of water, heads back towards Swamp Town. Fiona arrives back in the centre of Swamp Town, looking for Shrek, and the two reunite in the town square. However, Queen Emily is also there, and sends her royal guards after the two, determined that nothing will ruin the official launch of Silverbrook, her new name for the town. Following an exciting chase, Shrek and Fiona manage to evade the guards, but are trapped outside the town, with security tight as the celebrations begin. However, Shrek hatches a plot and sneaks the gingerbread man in with the catering supplies. He manages to find Donkey, who has grown despondent, suspecting that the crowd as it shows don't really see him as a friend. Gingerbread tells Donkey that Shrek and Fiona need him, and brightened by the thought of his true friends, he heads off to cause a distraction. At the luxurious launch party, Donkey takes to the stage. Initially, the crowd is ecstatic, but his standard jokes soon turn into biting satire of the humans who have taken over the town. 
The crowd begins to boo, and security tries to remove Donkey from the stage. He resists, pulling down Spencer's trousers and exposing his butt to the audience, which he tries to pass off as a wardrobe malfunction. As more booing citizens and security are drawn to the scene, Shrek and Fiona manage to sneak into town and head towards the dam. Shrek and Fiona are let into the dam by the three pigs, who are promptly fired by Donald Trump for their betrayal. After raising the alarm, Trump is tied up in Pinocchio's strings and dragged away. As Shrek battles guards to get to the dam's central column, Emily appears, having anticipated their plan, and fights with Fiona, wielding the magical royal scepter. Back in the town, Donkey's distractions have devolved into the whole town chasing him through the streets with torches and pitchforks, which Donkey remarks feels just like the old days. At the dam, Shrek is unable to shift the central column, but Fiona manages to trick Emily into hitting it with the royal scepter. As the dam begins to collapse, the three scramble to escape, with Shrek grabbing Fiona and swinging away on a rope at the last second before the dam bursts and a wave of muddy water heads towards the town. Donkey rounds a corner and is faced with the wall of stagnant filth, but at the last second, Dragon swoops down and pulls him out of the way. The townspeople are all soaked through with swamp water, which also knocks down several of the cheaply built houses and shops, as well as Emily's Silverbrook Mission Accomplished banner. With most of Silverbrook washed away and the new settlers leaving in droves, Emily tells Fiona and Shrek that trying to bring culture and civilization to the swamp clearly isn't worth the effort. She grabs a sheepish-looking Spencer and the two board a carriage heading away from the town, with Spencer leaning out of the window to tell Shrek that he hopes they can still be bros. With the newcomers finally gone, Shrek, Fiona, Donkey and the rest of the swamp's inhabitants head back to Shrek's cottage to celebrate, and the film ends with them singing a version of Good Charlotte's Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Can I just say how much I enjoyed these songs there? Yeah. Very You're early two thousands pop punk man too. No, no, I wouldn't. Have, no, I enjoyed them in the context of the. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, have them on an album. I would very much suppose that's that's purely Tim. Tim nailed yeah, that, that shit. Very good. Nailed it. Down. Very good. So, unsurprisingly, I have some questions for. <laughs> yes. What? When this baby what? hits eighteen miles an hour, you're going to see some serious. I don't believe Shrek. you. We 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 have some questions for ourselves. <laughs> 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 Bring it on. So. In the context of 2004, I'm going to kind of address the elephant in the room and not John Merrick elephant in the room. (laughs) The elephant in the room of Back to the Future. The last... So Back to the Future 3 comes out in 1989. We're in 2004. Is it too much of a callback for the younger audiences? Do you think that... is, Is that... Is Back to the Future still a, a big enough thing in 2004 for it, it to be called back? It doesn't matter because it's not... Other than the fact that you've got the obvious Doc Brown um, version in H.G. Wells, which the kids, you know, is just a funny character, etc. There isn't really anything that requires knowledge of it. And so and the, the, the t- ending joke the is quite and... on the... Yes, the title <laughs> is a bit of a one to get the parents in as yeah. well. But um, it's the joke at the end is quite on the nose, obviously, with him coming back. But a lot of that is because that's really fucking exciting ending to Back to the Future. I remember I didn't see it in the cinema. I saw it on like VHS at home. It gets to the end it's like we're going to be continuous like fuck when's the new one coming out? Three years. Great. That's forever. I'm like a child. <laughs> you know, thanks guys. It was, but it was uh, five years. That was, was fucking five, ages. Was it? Five? Yeah, it was, it was oh, 89. Oh man. And then they released two and three within three months of each other. But also, I think Back to the Future is a film, and I think it's interesting talking about Back to the Future on video, because I think that while it is, I mean, it got a massive DVD release. Well, yeah, we talked about the DVD boom, didn't we? Yeah, Yeah, this is going on. I think 
I think it has enough cultural cachet to it. That as Stuart says, it's one of those things where the film isn't beholden to that. If we'd gone with our original crazy idea, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a big part of the reason why that didn't work is because you are sat there going, this only makes sense if you know Back to the Future. If you recognize the and clock you, tower. And, and if you right, know yeah. it well. If you, because it then becomes a sequel to Back to the Future. And we didn't want it to be that because that would be nuts. <laughs> um, but, you know, so the idea that we wanted to do a time travel thing because it was that idea of how do we take this somewhere different? How do we tell a different story with it? And it was, we quite literally have to take it somewhere different. If we do the Shrek fish out of water thing again, we can up the ante there by putting him in a different time, having him interact with different people and a different set of rules that he then has to conform to. And we like the idea of spinning that on its head with, okay, well, Shrek isn't reviled in Victorian England because... Of because of what was happening at the time, because of this interest in science and and these things, this booming interest, he becomes a curiosity, which doesn't work for him either. But it's that idea that it by take, and that's why we ended up because, as Stuart said earlier, we toyed around with a few different historical periods. We went down to that one because it's like, well, we can we can tell a story here, but it wasn't beholden to being a Back to the Future thing. It's just got the nods there for the people that have seen it. Well, speaking of the the novelty in Victorian times, you don't really address the fact that he also brings a talking donkey with him to Victorian England. <laughs> and he's just like, the kids are like, yeah, cool, no worries, he's just part of the Oliver Twist crew. But we live- doesn't talk in public until he gets to people who can make money out of him. Right. Yeah. Nobody's going to suspect the donkey. That- and uh, kind of going back to the Back to the Future, funnily enough, do you think Robert Zemeckis would actually want to do this? Feels yeah, like his idea. <laughs> I, I just called old Rob up and said, "Hello, mate. How's it going? Do you fancy doing a Shrek sequel?" Had he done Polar Express by this time? I just forget what year that yes, came out. Yes, that's interesting. I think it's, it's the, the same, same year. year. Good. It's around this, about the same. This sort stops of time. him doing the creepy Polar Express. I mean, that's that's got to be a boon for humanity. I think you've got him at a time when he's. Yeah, I think that's quite critically acclaimed. <laughs> Yeah, but it creeps me out. The animation's weird. It's still dead-eyed. But it's un- oh, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. very um, Uncanny you, Valley kind of creepy. You stop him doing Beowulf, that's for sure. You've got... Fucking Beowulf. That Ray was him! Ray Winston's yeah. Beowulf. Zemeckis did that fucking Beowulf. Zemeckis' uh, mocap trilogy is uh, Polar I'm, Express, I'm properly scandalised by this. Beowulf and uh, Christmas Carol. And he was going to do Yellow Submarine, but Oh, then God, it, yes, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. This, it, this is horrors you're telling me, Matthew. I, so then I think the studio said, yeah, mocap is bullshit. Uh, thankfully, you know, Planet Apes came out and said, no, mocap's fine. Just need, not just like this. And not and not in entirely CG environments with yes, nothing exactly, yeah. to Good mocap reference. on real sets. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Maybe you could just film the people and then show that back later. Yeah. <laughs> kind of going back, away from the Back to the Future references and stuff, back to, back to Shrek. Why bring Farquaad back? That was an interesting choice because... You could easily have a new villain. I mean, the, the other team had a new villain. What was your thinking behind bringing back Lithgow and, and Farquaad? And... I like the way he's obsessed with getting Fiona, and that fitted nicely into what we wanted to do with this one. And there's that really weird post credit sequence of him being still alive in a hollow dragon. And that freaks me out. I don't want him dying in there. Just just get him out of there some way. This, this whole pitch is to save his... Yeah, it's like yeah. that bit in The League of Gentlemen where... Uh, Papa Lazarou is like trapped oh, all the people inside yeah. the circus animals. 
what is going on with that sequence? Why is that on the end of a kid's film? That's a crossover I want to see. (laughs) But also, I think, Lord Farquaad was quite a compelling villain. He's one of the. the I best. like Lithgow in that. I like yeah. Lithgow's performance. I think sure. we all yeah. do. I did not like the villain in the second oh, uh, one. Oh, Rupert as Everett much. was weak and Jennifer yeah, Saunders yeah. was interesting. Uh, although, though. yeah, I don't think Saunders. I, I think she was good in it, but I don't think that character really worked. I know it won an award. Yeah, I, th- I think it was just that. It was. There's. The, the first film has a strong villain. They've given us an opening to bring him back, so why not? The opening being the dragon's bum hole. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally the dragon's bum hole. Which should have been our team name. I mean, it does open with a poop joke, and I fucking hate kids films with poop jokes in, so I'm already disappointed. And you hate puns. I hate I puns. Bet you I hate poop jokes. Puns hate Victorian London. I'm kidding. Puns I'm from Victorian London. I was going to say, you can't hate Victorian London when it's on your face, man. <laughs> Yeah, like surely we listed like seven of your favourite people there. You were just like, I, I was, I was very amused by the references. But that's the thing. I, I, I imagine I'm one of the very few people who would enjoy the film for like, ha! I appreciate all, all these people. <laughs> I don't understand Back to the Future, but Victorian London. <laughs> yeah, and they got like American audiences. Who the hell is this bullshit? I mean, I, the things I know that Victorian was a huge Sherlock thing. Holmes. And oh stuff, yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Like, yeah, yeah, but I think. Um, Phineas Fogg, maybe I think. Well, these are like by back... Steve Coogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these Fucking are like hell, that was a thing. Yeah, well, you know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I, I was by surprised Jones. to see a Sexton Blake reference. That, that was, the, was one that of was yours. One that hit me. I, like, I didn't think anybody Jesus. knew who Sexton Blake was except yeah. me. You know, what I mean, Sexton Blake, adventuring detective. I liked the idea of like move it to somewhere new to give you more fertile ground. Yeah, so you're not that, retreading for a parody film. That's got to be done, or you're just retreading. But I'm not like. I worry that because obviously in the first one it's not really parodying fairy tales as much as it's parodying Disney interpretation of them and like Victorian London doesn't have as much of that like it's it's not been as it, it's been retrodden by a lot films. lot of people but yes less in family films and less by like a single giant corporate entity we were moving away from the uh, that kind of parodying in general it was really that being in victorian london suited the kind of story that we want to tell it yeah. was because moving it to this lo- locale with the things that are going on in this place at this time allows us to tell the kind of story we want to tell for shrek it allows him it facilitates the crisis that he then has because that that was what spawned it really was this idea was thinking about the the real life john merrick and the idea that if shrek found himself in victorian london i mean chances are he'd get fucking murdered <laughs> but, like, in real uh, victorian london but yeah that was we had no jack the ripper yes. but in the in the context of a um like a fictional victorian london it was okay we can spin that into something quite interesting we can we can put this character through something that we can't elsewhere so it was less a we want to do this because there is the opportunity for a commentary in the way that the first film did and more there's a way we can tell a story with this character by putting them there so i think that's what motivated it that's why my the original space idea didn't work as well because like shrek's in the future he's just an alien he fits in really well just fitting in really well isn't as interesting as oh suddenly i'm the cock of the walk and everyone thinks i'm great you can do a lot more with that than and then i can hide in plain sight and then in 10 years time we'll have a mashup between shrek the musical and the greatest showman oh god oh god (laughs) i'd buy that for a no i wouldn't actually (laughs) pt barnum I'll make a thing of you, Shrek. 
And lastly, you kind of, I guess, don't really give Fiona anything to do in this film. It's mostly a Shrek and Donkey adventure. Was that a conscious decision or you're just not a fan of Cameron Diaz? <laughs> <laughs> We'd have recast her if that was true. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to uh, stop for a minute and say, I'm not sure how to answer that because this was something that while writing it was like, yeah, she needs something to do. Fuck, I don't know what that is. That's why she's not in there. The thing is, the yeah. first film, it very much works on the Shrek and Donkey chemistry and wanted a bit more of that. When you add her into it, it changes the dynamic. It's a bit more Shrek and Donkey. In the third one, you can have her in and then... She can kick ass in Matrix style freeze thing. I didn't like that scene. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Over to Chris and Farley. No, 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 no. Say no. It properly. Say it properly, Jack. Come on. No, fuck you. Yeah, you can. Come on. Come on. You can do it. Come on, Jack. Over to, <laughs> come on, over come to Jack, the come legion on. known as Chris Farley. Yeah, I'll yeah, 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 yeah. That'll do. That'll do. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. A weird, but less of a question, more of a. Well, I guess it is a question. Did one of you? guys watch wild wild country recently that netflix documentary <laughs> about that weird cult that sets itself up in a rural town in the middle of nowhere <laughs> run by weird hippies <laughs> yeah. because that's your film <laughs> but charlie sheen instead of an indian guru <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i haven't seen it but that's the life i live so <laughs> like th- that was genuinely i was like it's sounding more and more like wild wild country <laughs> i've on. seen it advertised but i haven't seen it yet I've only it, it's good i've had it, it explained to me and yeah i suppose there is a similarity yeah, but i don't uh, know any of the details essentially an, like a an indian guru creates a following in a love guru played by michael myers, <laughs> Mike myers comes over to america his followers kind of bring him over to america because it's the land of the free and he can practice yeah. his religion and all that kind of stuff and he goes to the middle of nowhere to this tiny little town and they basically build this giant kind of essentially their own town next to it and freak out the locals and then they start taking over the town and running for elections in the town and they literally change the name of the town to the name of their settlement and all this kind of weird shit so oh yeah and then suddenly yeah they get one of the hotel i'm not doing a full synopsis of world war country it's like a 16 bit 16 part netflix series yeah, they get attacked and bombed and then they get crazy with machine guns and stuff and it it gets batshit and weird. You didn't quite go that far. But I wonder if that was an influence, but neither of you have seen it, no. so that's no. interesting. I mean, we were, ta- we were more taking it from the other angle of sort of gentrification and stuff like that, of the idea that in the first film, like Shrek and... Uh, all the fairy tale creatures, you know, they're all being ejected from Duluk because they don't fit the idea of, you know, what lord farquard wants and so they're all being crowded into the swamp mm-hmm. and now in time has passed and to this other kingdom there all oh, these fashionable things and we're gonna we're gonna move to be near them and it is yeah very much this kind of gentrification and how uh, well, it's, it's sweeping something away in one film and then basically putting it on a pedestal another and saying actually this is quite gauche yes commodifying it and that yes. kind of thing yeah but equally as hollow yes <laughs> and those kind of themes like of gentrification like you you said it's kind of touched upon in the first one you very much kind of expand upon it in in this one do you think that works for a younger audience is that or is that you guys trying to play to the the balancing the kind of adult and children kind of i think audience like i mean there's the much simpler angle of it of like these new people have moved here and now they're like draining the swamp and and Mm. that you know hurts old man frog and stuff right there um yeah and 
so I think it, you know, for young kids, it kind of worked they can understand it on that level and you know i mean you can shrek one shrek one you can look at it as a film about ethnic cleansing <laughs> jesus <laughs> i think yeah i think it's it's um it's there for the people who are looking for it perhaps and then and not no, not so much for for those but we yeah. you know we wanted i mean as you're going to see some serious shrek have mentioned like you've kind of used up a lot of the original satire and parody in the first film and you have to kind of move on to something new so rather than kind of taking a new genre to look at we sort of took a new yeah slightly different kind of target and theme and and different spin different spin speaking of different spins the the way you kind of balance the themes and have that thing felt more Pixar-y and less DreamWorks, I guess, in a way. We were talking about the, that that was the kind of difference between those Aspiring two companies around that time. better. Yes. <laughs> Do you think you could get away with that at DreamWorks? Or would they... I don't, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, we, we said DreamWorks do have some good films out there. You know, the directors that we picked did How to Train Your Dragon, which yes. is a great DreamWorks film. Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda, great film. My question to that would be, should... Shrek 2 be a Pixar-esque film and does that dilute from what made the first Shrek what it was because there is a certain irreverence in the first Shrek that works really well I I I liked the, the I liked the story I liked the way it was told and I think it was a I liked the message of it but it was if you become too earnest in that sense with the story that you're telling, is it still a Shrek movie in that way? Yeah, I think it's... Well, I'd say if you say it's got like a the beating heart of a Pixar film in the sense that it's got clear messages for adults and kids and in, in ways that are palatable for both and at the same time is based on, sorry, we say a, a Pixar-esque morale you would see, but on the surface is a Shrek film. Mm. It's it's the masquerade we're playing. We're basically elevating this film while still giving people what they think they want. Yeah, there's well, still there's still plenty of Shrekisms. Shrekisms in there. <laughs> <laughs> but being exposed to audiences and pun named medieval shops. Yeah. <laughs> well speaking of pun named medieval shops, that was something you kind of kept from the second one. And you've kept some of the elements from the second one and in particular I'm thinking of the very 2004 references all the kind of bands and things you're referencing are very 2004 and one of the things we pointed out that, that doesn't work about Shrek 2 is that it hasn't aged well I wonder if yours would suffer from that same problem so when we're coming up with different ideas for the pictures Tim said to me we should do the most 2004 film ever I noticed <laughs> yeah like everything that happened in 2004 around the around the period it was released everything and stuff that would be you know age well for us because we with hindsight which obviously couldn't tell at the time but you know that kind of stuff and again we thought well that's we i mean we even had a conversation that's dangerously close to basically replicating the stuff that doesn't work in the original film but while we mentioned that the pop references of the time were really hackneyed and bad you're gonna think what the fuck are you talking about um that guy from the osborns what the fuck yeah the majority of them feel to us at least like a time capsule so while you have things like in shrek itself which has so many weird erratic all over the place references from the last 20 or 30 years this is a very succinct of its time thing so in the same way that you know 
writing a novel about a past period in time is great. Writing a novel about when you are now at this moment is more than likely going to tell you what it's more like at that time. And so in that regard, the 2004 with the, oh, Lance Armstrong's a hero. Oh, Don Trump's hilarious on the TV. Oh, all, all these things that couldn't possibly come back and bite I mean, us. he still else. is for very it's... different reasons. <laughs> hilarious is one way for him, yeah. Mm. Shocking's another. We have to laugh or we'll cry. My my central thesis when I when we started talking about this was that for whatever reason, the Shrek films in my brain are almost like the defining franchise of that period of time mm. to for, for want of a better word, yeah. for a thing the bush administration um <laughs> and the shrek films are for some reason inextricably linked in my brain um and so yeah it was we we wanted to simultaneously come up with a better film that had a plot that worked and perhaps some kind of thematic elements and also layer on top of it this like crusting of filth that was 2004 references i mean it is it is a replication of the time and the period and everything else around it again because also while we're trying to do this thing we are still trying to make a shrek film and you can't hack all of it away as regrettable as it is because then it wouldn't be because then you'd have the immediate people saying that's not a shrek film that's a, like that's a Pixar film, like kind of thing. If you go too far down the road, like there's no crassness, there's no, there's nothing for the adults, there's no layering to it, there's there's no awareness of self, that kind of thing. Then you do enter the territory of well, what is this? What is this thing you've created? Whereas if it's a again like with the 2004 release, trying to keep things that have been of that time period that are actually of note, both in a from an, like, like the mission accomplished thing, for example, yeah. it's the whole idea that that is something very bold for the adults means nothing to the kids in the same way that it happens in the track but less jarring because for the kids like yeah i get it it's not mission accomplished because it didn't work <laughs> that kind of thing but equally i think if you yeah if you went too far you would you would ruin a lot of the personality of it so we kept quite a lot and the same thing with the songs for example so yeah yeah i mean again i'm pretty I mean, sure you you, you it, like there it, we talked about the wikipedia being, there's a whole list of pop yeah. culture references. The like entries on music associated with the Shrek franchise, because, and we've talked about how how big a success there was. The number of CDs that came out that were like music from Shrek, music associated with Shrek, yeah. music sung by characters from Shrek, music inspired by Shrek, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> music about Shrek, music. By You'll never Shrek. believe what wasn't on the Shrek soundtrack, but it sounds like it might have well been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it 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 was this little like juggernaut and so i i did kind of want to recreate that uh with with the music picks and and a lot of them were like incredibly you're like you look at the band list and you're like wow yeah i remember those guys they were big for oh, yeah, six match, months matchbox 20 yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah it was it was about capturing that very shrecky sp- spirit why is the, is that your third <laughs> Capture Shre- the Shreky spirit? I don't know if we'd have a third. We'd we'd have a Shrekmas Carol. Oh god damn it, Tim. <laughs> Directed by Robert Samek. Yep. Fuck. Funnily <laughs> enough, Kerry. that's also our third oh. <laughs> Back to the ghost of Christmas future. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Two brackets, brackets Chris Farley. Yay! <laughs> You know, I think I think yeah, without sounding very arrogant, I think yeah, I think, think we've come up with this very much a case of just just a better. Tu- and it's also if we wrote I mean, something- that's the point of the podcast. I'm not being arrogant. Oh. That's, that's literally your role in this. To be as arrogant as I can be. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, if you were to write a film now in 2018 and try and 
think of 2018 kind of stuff. You could get lost in saying, oh, well, mm, no one's going to really get that. It's too soon. It's too contemporary. Well, actually, no, mate, 28 is not a good example because of the meme culture. Fuck me. That's good. Yeah. The, yeah, this will literally be out of date by the writing session tomorrow. Yeah, exactly, yes. yeah. But the, that's the thing. You can, you can, Okay, so if you take Family Guy, for example, again, it's so niche in what it's trying to do. It, the jokes are still 80s stuff, and it's still 90s things, and it's still brand name things. And it's like, yeah, I get it. And, I, and much of the same way we're saying, but they are going very much there, you've done what they've done as well. It's like, yes, but what we've tried to keep it very contained to contemporary of the period mm. and also meaningfully saying something to show that the writers would have been smarter to interpret what was actually defining the time rather than and the same way that in theory Shrek 1 is trying to define how Disney has come to a point where they don't know what to do with themselves anymore because while Pixar was huge at the time Disney kind of didn't know what they were doing anymore they, they were trying to figure out oh Atlantis fucking Brother Bear! Shit, we better buy Pixar and pull ourselves <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. Chicken Little! Chicken Little! Oh my god that was Disney? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, Disney were really flailing until they bought Pixar, took all their stuff and said, make a good Disney film. And they think, oh, Moana's a great Pixar film. No, it's Disney. <laughs> What's Pixar making? Shh, Cars 2. I mean, that Chicken Little film, that's like a DreamWorks wannabe thing, yeah, isn't exactly. it? That's, yeah, it was, whoa, yeah, I had no Max. idea that was Disney. So that, that's, that's the kind of thing we were trying to sort of almost satirically point at. And also, hold our hands up, it were willfully being like, yeah, we're going to make this as 2004 as possible. Hence the concept. <laughs> Skating a, what, what was the thing you said to me? You said you're walking a fine line. Yes, but uh, I can't remember what the, it was. It was a tightrope between like falling into just a sea of pop culture yeah. references and actually having like a decent plot yeah. underneath it all. And I think that I responded with, "I've gone and smeared that line by adding this." <laughs> Fuck you! Here's good Charlotte. I see. I assume that is like 2004's greatest. Hits or like early pop punk. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did make a, a a big list of like people. I was trying to fit in like some Shania Twain in there. When I first added to her, her to the list, she hadn't come out in favour of Trump at that point. So. <laughs> Avril Lavigne. Is that twenty thousand two? Yeah, why, yeah. Why was complicated not in there? It's like perfect. It probably was. You run, you run out of space to just go. This scene that, that. is soundtracked by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a bit too explicitly skatery, isn't it? I, I think I think you chose well. If you'd done that in the scene where Shrek and Fiona fall out because they don't see eye to eye, oh my gosh. Oh. I'm in. I'm sold. Yeah. It, it still guys. makes more sense than Live and Let Die with a frog. Live and Let Die with a frog, yeah. But then yeah. so does pretty much anything. Frog funeral. We're going to get Live and Let Die. Why? <laughs> we're only gonna do the first 40 seconds yeah and obviously can, because good lord but yeah it literally must be what what we do we know that has the word die to you know to show that something is a character has died in this film uh creeping death by metallica <laughs> i'd i'd listen to it yeah i was gonna say that wouldn't Sunday really Frogs. make that much less sense though would it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Die, die, my darling, by, by the, the misfits. By the misfits. Yeah. Covered by Metallica. Covered by Metallica. <laughs> Who were the frogs at the funeral? Because, because oh, yeah, he's. It's not his Wait a second, yeah. <laughs> he's Are they not... his cousins? Oh, hang on, uh, audience. We're talking about Shrek Three at this point. Yeah. Back we to were... Shrek Three, everybody. Yeah, yeah. My verdict will come in a moment. Presumably, like he's been alive for sixty years. So if they're regular, if he had a regular frog family, they're all long dead. Is this the reason that he died? Is like. Like, this is, like, three weeks after yeah. Shrek like, He yeah. reached his froggy natural frog. life. Yeah. But yeah. They, they build a statue of him. There's a big statue of him with a scepter. So, like, clearly, at some point, they said, knock that fucking human statue down. You, 
don't dead name him. He is a frog now. Frog for life. Frog for frog. Frog statue. Oh wait, he's dead. He's dead. Because frogs live for however long. Yeah. Fuck all. Shit. Yeah. Well, Until the chimp gets them. <laughs> get them, he does. And like, if there's like a secret hidden track, you know how some albums you rewind past track one to get yeah. track, track zero. That if you do that to the Shrek three DVD, it's just the chimp fucking. It's the chimp fucking the frog. <laughs> Where was that pond going? He buries it in the ye olde footlocker fucking old, uh, box. Yeah. And just like on a lily pad, drifting to nothing. Mm. Drifting to the chimp. Chimp's <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Here you go, Monzo. Rigamortis will make it much better. <laughs> and all the frogs are like, oh, live and let <laughs> the Jim Bonzo being played by Andy Serkis. <laughs> no! <laughs> Voiced by Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yes, and also no. <laughs> Acting. Oh, God. Mm. Well, so I guess it's that time in the show where I pick a winner. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, in a way, we're all losers on this show. <laughs> No truer words. Oh, yeah. Well, I really enjoyed. Like I said, I really enjoyed the soundtrack that Chris Farley came up with. That's such a weird sentence. Yeah, to say. that's why we um, like saying it. I like that you touched on those themes. Going a little bit more Pixar is, like, like I said, kind of something that maybe DreamWorks would be looking to do at the time anyway. That that kind of makes sense. Like you can kind of touch on Matt. You've both got elements of the second film, but yeah, you twist it in a way that is far more interesting and makes a lot more sense than it. And I really like Back to the Future. <laughs> I really liked your Victorian references. I like you've got the H.G. Wells time machine reference, which I thought was a nice little yeah. touch. And having just a change of setting, bringing something fresh to what could easily be what Shrek 2 is, is just retreading the first one, but badly. And yeah, giving a, a fresh lick of paint and a, and a different setting. And going from fairy tales to like 19th century or 20th century literature is an interesting idea as well. So I guess I do have to make a decision and pick a winner for the Shrek 2 episode. And I'm going to go with Chris Farley. Congratulations, hey. gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, I thank you. Thank golf you. golf thank clap you. from. <laughs> you say Chris Farley, <laughs> not you fuckers. <laughs> Just Chris Farley. Just your actual Chris Farley. Come on down, and he's Chris. Here tonight. <laughs> he, huge... We thought he died, but. But congratulations, gentlemen. I really enjoyed your Shrek too. Thank you. That keeps our dream alive. It's even pegging the season. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. It's even Stevens going into the next episode, mm-hmm. which is something entirely different. Shit, yeah. Well, next week, we're going to be discussing Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Alec really loves that. He loves the trading of syllables and words for some reason. Are we excited, gentlemen? Yeah, I actually am. I think uh, it's nice to go back and introduce people to films they haven't seen before, and at the same time, fix the fucking awful sequels that came after it. This is this yeah. season's Revenge of the Creature, I suppose. Yeah. I think going so. back to a, an Pe- old school classic. Yeah, people are going to go, I don't know what that is, and then by the end of it, I'll go, oh, that's actually really... Entertaining, I thank you. didn't know this film existed before we discussed mm. it for this season. The so. original Poseidon Adventure is properly good. As it is well, really so good. Uh, the yeah. sequel's dog shit. The sequel's yeah. dog shit. 
Did I say sequel? The remake of the a remake, sequel, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, there the was remake. a remake. Yeah. Just called that's Poseidon. That's a theme for this season yeah. as well. With shitloads of remakes Russell. of stuff. Just called Poseidon. Hmm. Yeah. Is it yeah. Dennis Quaid in that as well? Yeah. Or? Uh, it was... Uh, what's his face from Jaws? Um, Roy Schneider? No, the other one. Richard Dreyfuss? That's it. Pretty sure Dreyfuss is in it. We'll see you underwater in a week. Glug, 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 glug. Why did we both go through that? That was the sound. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.